May I pray? God, thank you um, for being here in our presence. And uh, I, we think especially of the Nielsen family right now and that you would bring miraculous healing to Carter and miraculous help to Todd and Lisa as they've been, um, this has been hard for a long time. Please come alongside them, comfort them, give them wisdom, give them medical community wisdom. We ask for your favor, God. And now also, as we open your word, uh, this is life transforming what your word has to say. May it be so with each of our lives. Please find our hearts and our minds engaged now. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to say a special welcome to our Port Clinton campus who is joining us this morning. I am so glad that you are here today. Uh, obviously, what Pastor Jay uh, just told you about, Pastor Todd cannot be there this morning because uh, his son Carter is not doing well. And we wanted him to be able to be with his family and continue to be the dad that God is calling him to be. Uh, I join you in praying for Todd. He's one of my closest friends. Uh, I love Carter so much, and I know you guys love that family too. So continue to pray for him, and I'm grateful Jay can be out there with you, and at least I can be there with you from afar. Uh, Pastor Sean McDonald, or excuse me, Sean McDowell, gathered with a group of students one time and asked these students to think about how they would define the word freedom. And these students, they got together and they came up with this incredible definition of freedom. They define freedom as this. Freedom is being able to do whatever you want without restraint. Now, when you hear that definition, you think, one, wow, those teenagers are pretty smart because that's exactly what freedom is. You think about freedom, you think, yeah, it's what I want to do, whenever I want to do it, however I want to do it. No one can tell me, no, I want to do this, this, and this. And we as humans, especially living in a free America that we do, we have the freedom to do whatever we want. But what if I told you that this definition of freedom actually doesn't lead to freedom, but it actually leads to you feeling either out of control like chaos or feeling trapped, feeling imprisoned, which both chaos and being imprisoned is the opposite of freedom. Let me explain. Uh, they were gathered with these students, and Dr. McDowell, he, he says this. Let me, let me give you an example about the piano. If you were to sit at the piano, you could sit there and you could bang on the white keys and the black keys all you want. You have the freedom to do that. And if you were to do that, you would be making a lot of noise, but you wouldn't be making music. You have the freedom to do whatever you want with your hands and play any keys and anything that you want to do, but you're never going to play music. You don't have the freedom to do that. For freedom, there's restriction there. 
There's discipline there. You have to do what the sheet music is telling you to do. You have to put in the practice and the time to do it so you can learn how to freely play music, not just noise. Or another example, I want to enjoy my life. I think all of you want to enjoy your life. And for me, my enjoyment is tied directly to my choices of food. Like, I get a lot of enjoyment out of food. And I have the freedom to eat whatever I want. I have the freedom to go to whatever restaurant, swipe my credit card, and eat whatever food I want. And there's this dangerous thing called apps on your phone that you can hit a button and they will even deliver it to you. It's incredible. And because I have freedom to eat whatever I want, I want to eat from these four main food groups. Chicken wings... Chips, candy, and pizza. I could eat all four of those foods for every meal, and I would be completely satisfied and feel freedom for the rest of my life. Problem is, I'm about to be 37 right now. If I ate all those foods all the time, I wouldn't probably live till I'm 40. I have the freedom to do whatever I want, but that doesn't mean it's going to lead to the results that I have intended for. You can sit at the piano and play all you want. You may not play music, though. You can eat whatever you want, but you may not live as long as you want. See, freedom isn't just doing whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, because if you live that way, you can do whatever you want, but it's going to lead to chaos or it's going to lead to imprisonment. It's not going to lead to the free life that you actually want to live. And yet within every human being, we want to be free. We want to live without hindrance. So how do you do that? Well, over the next eight weeks, we want to look at the book of Galatians. In Paul's letter to this group of Christians, we're going to be able to see from God's perspective how to choose freedom every day. And so what I want you to do is I want you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to start right at the beginning. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay, but I strongly want to encourage you to bring them. Because when you bring your Bibles, not only do you have it with you in church, it reinforces the habit of spending chair time with God all throughout the week. And you may be like me, half the time I can't find where my physical Bible is, but I have my iPad and I read from my iPad every day when it comes to the Bible. Or if you don't even have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. Not only do I want you to take one and read it with us, I want you to take it home. We have extras for you. But I want you to open to Galatians chapter one. I want to start in the beginning in verse one. The apostle Paul writes this. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. The apostle Paul is writing to this group of churches in Galatia. And he probably planted this group of churches during his first missionary journey, which we read all about in the book of Acts that we studied last year. And experts say that he probably wrote this letter to this group of churches in around 50 AD or so. And there were a couple reasons why he wanted to write this letter. And as he writes this letter to this church, he sets off by telling them exactly what the purpose is. Here's what he goes on to say. He says, all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending these letters to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father 
And our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus, he gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order, in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Right away, as Paul's writing this church, or this letter to this group of churches who would probably circulate this letter and read it out loud, he wanted people to see Jesus right away. The focus was to be on Jesus and Jesus alone. And then he tells us that Jesus came to rescue us. Now, the New Testament is written in Greek, and that word rescue in the Greek language can be translated as this, to pluck out, to draw out, or to deliver. When Jesus says he has come to rescue us, here's a couple word pictures that have helped me understand this word. Jesus, it's as if he came to what prison we were in, and he was the only one that had the key to fit into the lock that would unlock the, the lock on the, on the door. He unlocks that door and finally we are free. He's delivered us. He's rescued us from the prison that we are in. Or imagine Jesus, he has this rope and he looks down into the water and we're just drowning. And Jesus attached to this rope is a life preserver and he throws this life preserver into the water and he delivers us, he plucks us out, he rescues us from going under once and for all. Paul is telling them right away, Jesus came to rescue you. But rescue you from what? What is it that Jesus can unlock the prison door of? What is it that Jesus can rescue us from so we don't go under? Again, verse four. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. Now, I could spend a lot of time telling you why this world is evil, but I don't think I have to do that. <laughs> I think all of us know that we live in an evil world. If this world was created perfect and beautiful and peaceful, this world is anything but that now, isn't it? Whether it's across the world or in our own country or in our own communities or neighborhoods or even in our own home, it's evil, it's broken, it doesn't work like it's supposed to. So I don't think I have to convince you of that. But what I do need to convince us of today is the evil, not that's outside the world, but what's inside of me, inside of you. You see, when Paul is talking about evil, he's not just talking about everything that you can see, it's oftentimes what we can't see and it's what comes out of us that is evidence that something's not right in here. I mean, think about how selfish you and I really are. At the end of the day, if we have to choose other people or ourselves, I'll give you a good percentage. 99 out of 100 times, we're probably gonna choose ourselves. Some of you are probably more of a saint than I am, 98% for you. 99 for me, 98 for you. But most of the time, we are looking out for ourselves. We're selfish, we're prideful. We are our own gods and we try to be the God of other people too. That can lead to some crazy bad things that we do. I don't think I have to convince you that, 
There are some things in here, once it comes out here through our own words, that through a word or two or a sentence or two, we can change someone's life for the negative. We can change the way they think about themselves. We can change the way that they perceive the world. We can change the way that they look at their work just by what comes out of here, out of our mouths. There's a lot of evil, not just out there, but it's within. And that's why Paul says, remember, Jesus came to rescue, to deliver, to bring you out of that prison, to rescue you from drowning, from evil, not just the evil that we see, because God's gonna come make that right, but he also wants to make us right. And spoiler alert, I'm gonna give you the answer. It's truly what Jesus and Jesus alone can do. He promises to be the one to unlock the door, to rescue us from drowning. He is the only one that lived the perfect life and died for our sins and resurrected three days later. He is the only one that can do for us what we can never do for ourselves. He is the answer. He is where we find our true freedom. If that's the case, and many of us who follow Jesus and here believe then why aren't we more free than we are right now? If Jesus came to set the captives free, if your prison door is unlocked, if he got you out of the, out of the water and he told you off and he said, go live your life, why are we so restricted still? Why do we jump back into the water? Why do we go back into the prison cell and shut the door? Why do we live as if Jesus didn't rescue us? What's well, one of the reasons why Paul writes this letter to the Galatians? Because he's articulating ways in which we try to add things to Jesus because we think those things are gonna give us peace and freedom, but they don't do that in the end. And I wanna walk through three of those things that maybe you and I are guilty of adding to Jesus because we think that will rescue us and give us freedom, but actually, it's having the reverse effect. It's not giving you the freedom that Jesus has promised you when he freed you from sin and shame and given you a new life. The first is this. It's the promise of secularism. Our hearts are drawn to this so easily. How we'll define that is to grab hold of what makes you happy. And when you do, you will achieve freedom. I'll use an equation that helps me. It's Jesus plus happiness equals freedom. You'll notice in all the equations I put on the screen, there's still Jesus. Like we still believe in Jesus, that's why we're here. We pray, we read the Bible, we still believe in Jesus. The problem is Jesus isn't enough. And because we've been following Jesus for a while and that's kind of gotten stale, our hearts tend to wander to other things. Other things in this world that promises us happiness. Or, I should say, we think will give us happiness. It's things like sex and money, our phones, social media, looks, status, Notoriety, relationships, food, so many things that we say, Jesus, I have you, I'm gonna put you over here and I'm going to add other things to make me happy. And all of the things that I just listed to you are good things. 
Food is good. Sex is good. Sports are good. Phones are good. Social media is good. When we have it, it can be a good thing. But then oftentimes our hearts drift from Jesus and we add these things in them. And it goes from, I want these things to I need these things. And when we get to a point, and oftentimes it's subtle, we don't walk around saying, I need these things to make me happy. I need these things to give me satisfaction. I need these things to give me worth. It is so subtle. But when you cross the line from I want that, or that would be great to have it to I need it, that thing in which you're looking to free you, to give you happiness, to give you the life you want, ends up throwing you back into the deep end. Tim Keller, he puts it this way. If we look to some created thing to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and it will break our hearts. Some of us have broken hearts in here not because of the suffering and pain that you've gone through, that's a different kind of broken heart. I'm talking about things that you thought that if you had them in your life, they would give you all that you wanted and you realize they just slipped through your fingers. And sure, you have Jesus, but you don't have these things anymore and your heart's affections, because they've gone to these things, have led you back into a prison that you can't seem to get out of. Another promise of freedom that we often go to, and it's, a, it's, it's an interesting one, but I want to explain it to you. It's the, it's the promise of religion. And in the promise of religion, you're promised if you keep the rules, you can earn freedom. Now, Paul, as he's writing to these Galatians, is getting pretty angry off the bat. And he's angry with this group of people called the Judaizers. And he's angry not only with these Judaizers that are teaching something false, but he's also angry at these Galatians who are believing what these Judaizers are teaching. Here's what Paul says. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. This God who called you to himself throughout the loving mercy of God. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Paul is writing to these Galatians, and did you notice he says, what happened? I came in and I preached to you Jesus and Jesus alone, and he rescued you from this life that was never giving you freedom. He gave you the freedom that you longed for, and then boom, you went back to your old ways. Because these Judaizers, it was interesting, they said, hey, you guys can have Jesus, that's good. But also, in the meantime, add Jesus to following the Mosaic law. So follow Jesus, that's good. But Jesus isn't enough. Go ahead and add the law that you were under before. Follow that, and then you will be right with God. And Paul's like, are you serious? We've gone over this. 
It was Jesus alone, but, but now you've gone back. They went back to a time where they thought, okay, if I wanted God's approval, I had to follow the law to a T. I had to do these things, and if I did these things, God would, would be approved of my life. He would want me. He would want a relationship with me. And I think why they did that was they could measure their own spirituality based on their own effort. And we like to do that. Because on the outside, they could check off boxes and do things and follow the law. And they could see, see, I'm doing something for God. Therefore, he must approve of me or like me or care about me. That was great on the outside. The problem is the law was never meant to change you on the inside. These Gentiles who are these Galatians who were following the law forgot that they can't buy their way to God or do something to God. It has to come from Jesus and Jesus alone. But they wanted to go back and try to do something in order to earn God's favor. It did nothing to their hearts. Only God through Jesus could change their hearts. And that's why Paul was saying, just stop doing this. You're believing something that's not true. I know it sounds kind of good, but it's not the truth. Now, you may be here and you may be saying, I am glad I don't do that. I don't go back and follow the law of Moses and I don't measure my value and worth by if I can really follow the law to a T. And I assume you probably don't, but what if I told you that religion isn't just about following the law found in Moses, it's oftentimes just following the rules that we think we have to follow in order to get our approval from God. I mean, how many times as a Christ follower, have you thought to yourself, I know Jesus died for my sin, but I just did that, and now I don't know if he loves me or not. I don't know if I'm gonna go to heaven or not. So now I have to do something. It's oftentimes subtle, sometimes it's not. But we oftentimes go back to saying, okay, I know Jesus did this, but now I have to do this. Or some of us think, okay, I know Jesus died for my sins and my righteousness is in him. He justifies me. He's sanctifying me. We can use these big theological words. And then when we read the Bible, we read it, we check it off and say, okay, God must give me some bonus points today. All right, Lord, I prayed for five minutes today. You better answer my prayer. I just gave this today. You better do this for me. So often, we go back into the prison of religion of just not following Jesus, but following Jesus plus trying to keep all these rules to try to appease God for some reason. God's already appeased in Christ. And it says we are robed with his righteousness. And when you go back to Jesus plus religion to try to get your freedom, it leads to two different kind of prisons you can put yourself in. The first is control. What we like to do is we like to try to control our relationship with God, control the results. And so we try to do something to him or for him in order to try to win his approval or to try to tip the scales in our favor. And if we can have control, well, that's going to be good for us because God has to do what we want him to do. Or, and I see this all the time, and I can see this in me, if we follow Jesus, but also try to appease him by doing certain things, we either can be so insecure with God, like, see, I didn't read the Bible today. He doesn't love me like he loves all of those other people who read the Bible. And you can start to feel insecure about your relationship with God. You feel like, if I don't do this, he's not going to love me. Or, and I see this a lot in Christians, 
And Jesus saw this in the Pharisees. You stand above people and you look down at them and say, well, I know the Bible. I pray. I give. I go to church. I know these verses. I'm a moral person. And you start to look down on other people. You feel superior to them. People that don't know Jesus and they come in contact with a Christ follower that feels like they're superior to them, they already feel judged in life. They don't wanna feel judged by you. They don't wanna feel judged by your God and so they don't want nothing to do with your God. That's why Jesus plus religion, whether it's for the, for the Galatians or for us, is so dangerous and throws us back into a prison that Jesus freed us from. Or the third one. It's the promise of people-pleasing. It's do whatever you need to do to earn people's approval and they will give you freedom. And that equation goes like this. Jesus plus the approval of others equals freedom. So after Paul goes on this little rant about these Judaizers, he ends up telling the Gentiles, guys, you stood firm for Jesus and then all of a sudden you turned away from him when these guys came in and started to teach you something that you know deep down isn't true. And as a result of that, Paul, he starts to get a little introspective and he starts to talk about himself a little bit and he says this to the Galatians. He says, well guys, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If people pleasing were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. He's saying, look, I know you wanna serve Jesus, but you also want to do what these people want you to do. And you're trying to do both, but you can't do both. You have to choose one or the other. But we like both. <laughs> we really wanna do both. If you are a CPP in here, a chronic people pleaser. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And I would say if you're like, I'm not a people pleaser, I promise you, you are. <laughs> I am, you are, it just comes out in different ways. Because this is how it looks. You love Jesus, you know what he did for you, you'll read your Bible in private, you'll pray in the car, you'll do all those things, you'll come to church. And then you get around some family. Get around some friends. Get around some coworkers. Get around some people that don't believe the same as you do. Do you look the same as you did in church and reading the Bible and praying or do you start looking a little differently? Are you giving in to temptation more? Are you saying and doing things that you would never say and do when you're truly following Jesus that you would in, other, in front of other people? Do you deny something about the Christian faith or you don't wanna speak up on certain issues in the culture because you don't know what people would say about you? You see, we really wanna have it both ways. And we can't do that. And the reason why we are such people pleasers is because there's some kind of dopamine hit that we get when people like us. Because we all wanna be liked. But if you're liked for somebody that's not truly you, are you truly liked? I mean, they may like a version of you that's not you, but your true authentic self, they don't even know you. 
So they may like you, but they don't really like you. They like a version that you've put in front of them because you can't say no when you should say yes, and you can't say yes when you should say no. We want Jesus, and we want to be liked. We want the approval of other people. So we don't want to disappoint them. We want them to think of us in their inner circle, or we won't want them to talk badly about us. Paul says it can't be both. Neither did the author of Proverbs. The other Proverbs says fearing people is a dangerous trap. That's why he write, wrote the Bible and not me. I'm thinking, he can't say it any better than that. I mean, think about it. Every time that you turn into someone that you're not, in order to be liked, or in order to get liked, social media, you know and I know they don't really like you, and now you're trapped because now you're somebody that they've, cre- they've wanted you to be. Now you can't ever be your authentic self because they like this version of you. You don't want to ever let that person out because what if they reject you? It's a trap. It's a prison. That's why. He says, but there's an out here of this trap. But trusting in the Lord means safety. That word safety in the Hebrew literally means to be taken up and, and out of harm's way. That you don't have to be in the trap of people pleasing anymore. You can be you. You don't have to be in the trap of religion. You don't have to earn your way to God. You don't have to fall into the trap that the world says, be this or do this or have this and you can be happy. You can be above that. And the author of Proverbs says the way to get out of this and to truly have freedom once and for all is to trust in the Lord and him alone. That's why when Paul begins his letter and starts to establish some things with these Galatians, he has to remind them over and over again about the truth of the gospel because so often we forget it in our own lives. We wanna add something to Jesus where Jesus is just enough on his own. That's why Paul, he writes it again in verse three. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you what? Grace and peace. It comes from Jesus alone. Or in verse six when he says, I'm shocked that you're turning away from God so soon. This God who called you to himself through loving mercy of Christ. The peace, the freedom that we long for can only come from one promise. And that's the promise of the gospel. The gospel literally means good news, which means there was bad news. And the bad news is so often we try to find our freedom in so many other things, and we're either drowning or in a prison. It's either secularism or religion or people pleasing or whatever it is for you is that trap. But the good news is that you can find God's peace and freedom through his grace and mercy, both displayed through Jesus and him alone. That's why an equation form, it looks like this. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals freedom. You don't need to find happiness in someone else or something else. They'll never give it to you. You can never earn your way to God because he's perfect and you're not. And you can never people please your way into happiness because there's way too many people 
to try to earn their approval from. And it's exhausting and it's a trap if you continue to do it over and over again. But if you want real freedom, if you want the prison door out or let out, if you want to be let out of the water, grab onto the rope, allow Jesus to turn the key, come out and live in freedom once and for all. And over the next seven weeks after this, we're gonna look at what does that mean in our everyday lives. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this freedom. We don't wanna take it for granted. Thank you for loving us. May we love you back by the way we live our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, just wanna encourage you to read through the book of Galatians. Some of it's hard to understand. Somebody once said, don't worry about the stuff you don't understand. Think about the things you do. And it's a great book to read. Grace and peace be with you. Have a good day.